Before we start, a massive thank you from me. Before the last podcast, I launched a fundraiser in memory of John Martin's grandson, Jordan Houston. With all that's going on in the world at the moment, it's not an ideal time to be fundraising, but it's also not an ideal time for Chaz, who we're raising funds for. I've been blown away by the response. Taking into account gift aid, over £970 has been raised for Chaz. John's been in touch and so has his son Richard. They're really moved by it all and have asked me to express their gratitude. If anyone else would like to donate, you can go to justgiving.com forward slash johnny dash martin dash one. That's the number one. On with the podcast. 25 years ago to the day, a chubby young boy from Airdrie went along to watch his boyhood heroes run out at Hamden for a Scottish Cup final for the second time in three years. 25 years on, and with lockdown not helping my waistline at all, I was keen to do something to mark it. Massive thank you to Alan Porteous and Gordon Thompson for joining me, and for their patience as I had a number of technical difficulties along the way. What we've come up with is a podcast which is longer than our usual, but we just couldn't help ourselves revelling in the memories of it. We've enjoyed it and we hope that you do too. There will also be a separate podcast coming out with reflections from Paul Jack and Alex McDonald. And you should be able to find that in the same audio stream. We're still in lockdown, we're in unprecedented times, uh, but I'm planning to release this podcast 25 years on from the day when in other unprecedented times, Airdrie played in their second cup final in uh, three in a, th- a spell of three years with me to discuss those glorious times i've got alan porteous and gordon thompson good evening lads how are you i'm okay Fine, how thanks. are you <laughs> good well Definitely i've got i've got uh i've got hair which brian smith was comparing me to mungo jerry on a, a zoom quiz oh. so i'm desperate for yeah. my clippers to arrive but but other than that all's well uh gordon uh, you i mean you said before your line of work means that you're very busy helping folk at the moment is it calmed down at no, all or is it still <laughs> no it's, it's it's crazy at the moment mate but um we're, we're getting by it sort of settled into a routine now and um it's I, th- I think i do something like about 200 um emergency food packs every week uh, on referral it's, it's similar to you know what people would get for food banks or, or whatever else but you know we're kind of having to deliver to them because you know because of the social distancing and people being isolated and whatever else and left with it so it's quite hairy scary to be to be brutally honest and um emotionally draining you know seeing people that are really really struggling that's it's quite sad but the good thing is that there are a lot of people kind of pulling together um you know during these kind of tough times and um you know kind of Really good people standing up to be counted, which is great. I won't embarrass anyone to be saying it, but I've had quite a lot of volunteers, you know, for around about the football club, kind of try to do a wee bit, and I can't keep everybody happy. We we enough stuff to do, but it's it's been kind of reassuring as well that there are some good people that are willing to help out, which has been amazing. Good, right? We've all done a bit of prep for this, so there is a documentary, if you can call it that, on YouTube. Uh, so if you search for Diamonds Are Forever, and we'll put the the link up, we please find this podcast uh it goes over uh basically the cup run and it flashes back to to 1992 so i think we've all watched it we'll take notes uh, i would encourage people to watch it if you're not going to watch it during these weeks where we can't actually socialize then you probably never will uh i don't like doing all these nostalgia things because we'd like to see better form on the the part to get as excited but what a time it was uh, and we were all around to see it so uh, it is nice to, to look back at it and 25 years on feels like the right time to do it so uh 
Right, it's not the best documentary in the world. Uh, there's not that much with the management or the players. Uh, and if you watch the opening sequence, it becomes clear instantly that it was a very long time ago. Uh, the quality's terrible of what's on YouTube. The music's like standard music off a, a Casio keyboard or something. Uh, and the pictures aren't quite as clear as they might be. Um, but we open up with um, some highlights of the cup run the players breaking royal protocol and kissing the Duchess of Kent uh, and then it cuts away to the 1992 Scottish Cup final. Uh, th some things just struck me straight away. We were back to having the wee numbers and jerseys which we had all the way until the 95 final at least. Uh, there's uh, Nipper absolutely skinning John Brown uh, early on in the, in the match which I, I couldn't remember from, from the time but um, I mean, 1982, Hamden looked very different. You'd both have been there. What did it bring back to your mind? Gordon, do you want to go first? Oh, <laughs> I actually missed the 92 final. I get, I get lifted before it for, for fight with Rangers fans. So, uh, bad memories, but we'll talk about the game, yeah? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Unless you want to give us a highlight of the fight. I loved it. Gordon I, was I in jail. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was in, in my court case was the day the away leg in Europe as well, which it was a double whammy that year. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to gloss over that one. Um, what can I say? What can I say? First of all, the actual run to the cup final was just amazing. Obviously, that was our first year back in in the Premier League. Um, we got to the semi final and really, really cheated in the League Cup semi. Obviously, that was the Davy Simon incident. And let's be honest, we would have absolutely thrashed Hibs in the final as well. You know, we beat Hibs every time we played them. There was no doubt that we would have won that League Cup. So to get to the Cup final that year, the, the run was incredible. We'd obviously we'd beat Hibs 2 0 up at Easter Road. The first goal coming from a long throw, Alan Porteous. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, the, obviously the semi final replay against Hearts that, you know, everybody's seen the shootout with Johnny Martin, you know, kind of excelling. I know the, the four penalties can in Chris Honor getting his revenge on Joe Jordan. So, you know, we got to the final, we were confident we had one hell of a good team getting into that cup final. But the really unfortunate thing was that Jimmy Sanders. And had got suspended for pulling a face. Kenny Black, he missed the final as well. And, all, and the other one that really hurt us too, Sammy Conn was injured. He had a dodgy hammy leading up to the final and he missed the finals. And Sammy Conn was always a great option off the bench and he could have started midfield or left, you know, left back or something that day. Right. We, we were under so we were very under strength and let's be honest that Rangers team was one of the best Rangers teams that they've had in a long time as well Spackman and McCall in centre mid were, 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 were really really good I think they had Mikhailichenko and uh, Ian Durant was, was kind of in, in one of his kind of comeback kind of phases at that point in time Peter Hustra you know within the team but they also had McCoy and Haley up front who were deadly, you know, they were scoring goals galore. But we had got to the stage that season, we, we lost our first couple of games against them quite heavily. I think it was 5-0 and 4-1. But then at Christmas, or just after Christmas, we drew nothing each. I don't know if you remember, that was a game Mikhailo Ch sorry, because Netsov had got sent off for pulling down Nipper. And, um, you know, we really started to get the measure of them. Them and Celtic, we were, we were starting to be like a, a match for them on the pitch. We wouldn't, wouldn't say we were beating them, but we were a match for them. And, and we went into that final kind of fairly confident, but obviously we knew we had two of your best players missing, which was just devastating, um, you know, by the time we got to the final. 
So looking at the team that we played that day, there, there was players that might not have automatically started. Maybe guys like Davy Kirkwood, um, maybe Gus Caesar might not have started for Sanderson and, and, and Black were there, for example. And that maybe just took a slight edge off us a wee bit. But I thought oh, through the game, we had most of the play for the first you know, the first half hour of the game. We were looking really good. Colin mentioned the time that Nipper skinned John Brown. There was some really good play, you know, within the game. And, you know, it, it kind of turned on a bit of a mistake or, or whatever. The, the, the video doesn't really show you, you know, what happened to Kirkwood. But Kirkwood slipped. And then both Jack, who was the sweeper, and Gus Caesar both kind of rushed out to try and shut down Robertson and left Haitley and, you know, acres of space to, to kind of tuck the ball home. That was really the kind of turning point of the game because we, we really did give everything up to that point. We didn't Colin was trying to make a case so, during the week, wasn't he, that Kirkwood was fouled, wasn't he? I don't think he it, was, it could have been, he? but we can't see it. He might even just he might even he might even just get clipped or something. There wasn't a lot of protests. But the thing the thing that kind of struck me most about that was I, I was never the biggest Gus Caesar fan, you know, it was it was great having this guy with a fancy name and you know, he used to play with Arsenal, he was in a League Cup final in you know the mid eighties. And he was a bit of a name, but I never thought he was the best of players, if you know what I mean. Our defence that year was Kid Sanderson and Honor. But Jack was a good player, and Jack could play sweeper. But Jack's role was to go and shut shut down Robertson. He was the guy that was the sweeper's role was to turn a one on one into a two v one. And if obviously if Kit was slips, Jack should be there. So kind of Caesar kind of, you know, kind of left his post if you want. And you could see that you know after it, you know, like folk were kind of like arms out at Caesar. What were you doing? Where were you? And that that, that just whenever you've got you know, key players injured like Sanders, he hardly missed the game. There's all these different communications that the team need to kind of rebuild and we looking at that, you know, but it was some finish for McCoy's frag. Well, you couldn't really take that one away from him, you know, there was, there was nothing stopping that shot. So, kind of unlucky, but, you know, getting in 2-0 down at half time, I think we were, you know, it didn't it flatter them certainly and didn't kind of, it wasn't really justice for us, I, I, I kind of guess. Yeah. I bet let somebody else talk here. <laughs> well, there you go, Alan. The, the, the chance, big Andy's goal. So you can't give two goals away to a, a team with the strength of that Rangers side. But uh, the 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 big Highlander uh, scored a scored a cracker. What do you remember about that? Um, not very much. It was. I think my my eyesight was starting to go at that point. That was the earliest days of of me needing glasses. So I think it was a. Uh, I just saw it hit the net and. I didn't think at the time, I thought it was a clean strike and you look at it now and you see it, ah, it wasn't there at all, was it? But it, it just set up that last, I think that last 10 minutes or so, you, you just thought you were going to get something from it, didn't you? And they, they brought Wes Reed on, remember, and, he, and, and he, he beat a man, he wheeled round, beat a man and roasted a shot. And you thought, well, oh, this, is, this is coming. And uh, I think we had them on the, on the ropes a wee bit, didn't we? But... I think so. I mean, it's my my burning memory from it's just they killed the game uh, as you could in those days by uh, passing the ball back to the goalie, goalie taking his time, rolling out to the fullback, and uh, you can just burn so much of that last ten minutes by by time wasting. Um, but yeah, I did I did watch the Wesley chance and think yeah, I don't know. It, when you look at the Rangers goal and it's byline ball back easy tapping whether or not he he made the wrong chance by uh, the wrong choice by uh, having the shot but he did he clipped the bar so it wasn't a million miles away um it's just that that probably was the chance where they they had to take it to uh, to keep the game going. 
Absolutely. I mean, I think, I suppose the one the one kind of strong memory I have from the game was that, as you, as you probably know, I'm, I'm very much an attack-minded and I really appreciate flair players and, you know, you've got to go all out to win and score more goals than the opposition. But I can remember turning around and speaking to whoever it was beside me about midway through the second half and, and just understanding how good a team Rangers were but just also understanding how, as a defensive unit, Doddy had Airdrie so well organised. It was a defensive masterclass, you know, full-backs stepping out to cut off, you know, uh, diagonal passes. You know, just, just you didn't actually feel that we were in a great deal of danger, and that's a real tribute to them playing against, you know, one of the top two teams in, in, in the country. I didn't think we will you know, we didn't look troubled, and I just remember that thinking that this is defensive football in in a, in a nutshell, and it's an absolute masterclass. It was brilliant. Yeah, we were definitely well organised. Every game, everybody knew their job in that team, yeah. and it was like I think every player had a role. Like David Kirkwood, uh-huh. although he wasn't a starter every week in that team, his job was to stop. David Robertson obviously had that slip or foul on him or whatever happened at that first goal, but the rest of the game he was he, he really was, um, you know, you know, extremely good at it. You know, he, he he did his job and he did it well all through that game. Um, you know, I think I think we had to reshuffle the centre mid. Obviously, like it was Chris Owner played in midfield that day um, beside Balfour. Balfour got injured at one point, didn't he? I think he had a big head knock and had his bandage on at one point where you thought, come on, surely there should have been a booking or a, or something else. So I can't remember exactly what happened at the time now, just as we're, as we're talking here in the podcast. But there, there was just different things happened all through that game. But every, day, every man on that pitch had a, a specific role and he did it well. Every day, the 1v1 got a job to do. Aye, I, th- I, think that, I think that hits it in the, the nail on the head. I was sort of given it a misnomer by saying that we were defensively very good but I think it's more organisationally we're very very good yeah. so I never thought yeah. I never thought uh, McDonald's teams were particularly defensive I think we we, we soaked things up, up and then hitting the break really quickly and the guys that we had in yeah. our team all the way through his tenure were really really attack minded midfield forward you know, they, we yeah. had some quality creative players there that, that could punish teams well, I don't know. I don't know if I'm stealing Colin Thunder, but there's a, a, a little video online um, that I think Stephen had, had put together, and it was a lot of Doddy's quotes. And I always remember the one where he, he said, "I'll always play. My teams will always play with three men up front because the first thing you've got to do in every game is you've got to ask questions to the opposition. So mm-hmm. every team that he wrote started with three strikers or three forwards. You know, even even if you're counting." You know, Paul Harvey playing as a kind of false nine or whatever. Um, you know, later on, he always started with three up front, just about every single game. And that was Doddy for you. Uh, uh, you know, so every game started with how we're going to win this game. It wasn't a case of just going out there to defend deep and, and hope for something in the break. There was always a kind of pattern to it. And um, I think that's sometimes kind of kind of overlooked because we were so good. But everybody had a defensive role to play. The centre forward would be to stop the, the centre backs coming forward. The two wider strikers would be to stop the full backs. Everybody else would be man for man with, with, with Sanderson sitting spare. Uh, so it was an all over the park defensive 
kind of shift. It wasn't just a, you know, sit deep for what Mourinho would call the low block. This was this was defending all over the pitch, and and every other team hated it. They used to, you know, they really did hate it big time. Uh, you remember a few months after the cup final, Paul Jack, you know, was accused of breaking Gary Stevens. We just couldn't take it. You know, <laughs> a lot of teams just couldn't take it because we were in their faces like everywhere on the pitch. Um, it's only haters that would kind of say it was defensive, really. Right, well, then the, the programme then cuts to Strathclyde Park, so we're, we're forward to 95, uh, and they make a thing about Airdrie by this point, so we're, we're nomadic, we've not got old Broomfield, uh, and Doddy talks about the players having to wash their own kit and they've never looked so smart. Uh, I did think, what? how did they not need to wash their own kit at Broomfield? I mean, all that was there was the pavilion, and I can't imagine that it had state-of-the-art state washing facilities in there <laughs> to turn around all the training kit. Uh, but but, they, but obviously was was the change. Um, but you, you see that they're training at Strathclyde Park, and it's said that it looks quite a, a nice day there. And I don't know whether any of us know. The, the move away from Broomfield, obviously it's your base, but any time I hear about football teams from that era it's even Aberdeen until recently it's like the players will all meet at the stadium uh, and then they'll find a place to train wherever that can be because I think you want to keep the pitch as, as good as you can so uh, yeah. like at Aberdeen and Fergie's time they used to tra- apparently train quite often the the Red Ash car park that was next to Petordry and that's the team that went on to win a European title uh, and, and even recently they just drive around the city until they can find a, a patch of grass that they know is decent enough to train on so I don't know how big a disruption it was for the the players not having Broomfield for those few years when we were at, at Broadwood uh, I'm pretty sure Aberdeen used to train in the beach did they not? I, I think from time to time and especially if, they, if, they were, if there was frozen pitches then I've heard stories about them doing that as well uh, but a trainer in an ash car park is uh it would probably make your, your touch quite good because if you can control it on that then come Saturday playing on the grass you should be fine. We used to do that no problem in the in the BB League so if we could do it, I mean I'm surely all these other characters, could, all these professional footballers could do it. Nine o'clock down the red ash at one wall. I, I, I taught you how to trap a ball. <laughs> I, I, don't think it, I don't think it would have been that, that bad for them to be honest. I mean they weren't actually in Strathclyde Park itself they were at the they were at the Hamilton Palace kind of grounds, and you know I, I could tell what what pitches are on. There's like dozens of pitches down there, but there's a wee sports centre, you know, with the changing rooms and that. It barely get used during the day. That's one of the areas that'll be kind of like really busy at nights during the summer when the grass pitches are open. Um, at, at nights during the week, you know, and you know, kind of youth teams and amateur teams are playing, but during the day there'll be nobody there. It's like a big, practically empty sports centre. So they'd have had a cut a changing room or two. Um, you know, maybe a wee bit more awkward and less, you know, less kind of private, I guess, than, than using the rain. But they used to train all the time up in Airdrie as well. At, you know, like the leisure centre, the exact same kind of routine. So I don't think it would have made a huge difference to them, to be honest. It's one of the ones that looked good in the media, but you know, I don't think it's that much here. It's maybe the fact that they don't have the rain. They kind of just, you know, lock the stuff away in a cupboard, you know, like they can at the yeah. rain stadium. And that would probably be the big difference that, you know, they would need to kind of, you know, take all their keys, you know, like use the kind of like the, the lockers where they put, you know, put a pound in or whatever it would have been at the time and, um, you know, take their keys with them and, and whatever. So it's a wee bit less private, but, you know, at the end of the day, fit was fit. But, you know, it's boss, it's, it's boss, it's cones, it's, it, it's the other guys, it's the coaches, you know, it's, they, they're all the things that matter. The rest of it's just, 
stuff. <laughs> that's, that's, that doesn't really count as much, you know. The documentary then takes us takes us on the cup run. Uh, the first stop in that, I think, was Sterling, so they don't have footage of that. Were either of you two at, at that game and can, any recollections from it? I think it was a 2 0 away victory for Airdrie. None whatsoever, Colin. Oh, we know. Uh, same, same, <laughs> same here, I can't remember much about it either. Uh, so kind of glad that Steve McCormack didn't ruin that cup run before it started. If it was, if it was Sterling in that type of era, right? The first game they've got footage of is Dunfermline at home. Uh, goals for Cooper and Smith for a two 0 win for Airdrie. Uh, again, my immediate impression is I, I was at Broadwood for the horrible game this year, uh, and a, a part next to like a BMX track. There's the stand behind the goals. There's a gym at the other end. There's a weird kind of police box in the corner. There's Astor's yep. tough pitches, there's loads of stuff there now. Whereas this is back to that two stand wind tunnel that, that we shared. Uh, uh, it just looks really different. It's, it's massively open, and I'm reminded of how cold and miserable you could be sitting watching football there. But uh, yeah. like, like, a decent game. I mean, we'd take a, a victory against them fairly as a bit of a, a cup shock if it was to happen these days. Uh, what did you like about that? Big Andy's goal celebration, running to the <laughs> corner flag. Big. Well, you're, you're saying that. We missed Cooper's though. Cooper did his handspring backflip celebration and the cameras missed it. You, you see him get into it, but the camera panned away. Uh, that's, that's devastating that we don't One of these, on don't try this at home, kids. Oh, it was brilliant. I mean, can you remember it? You must have seen him doing it a few times. I think I think it got to the stage where Doddy actually banned He was told I was banned from doing it, out. wasn't he? <laughs> he was going to put his back out or something like that but you know in the early days he, he, he got away with it he was brilliant he used to be a gymnast when he was younger and that's how he allegedly how he could get such a brilliant spring in there that's right but, um, his, his goal celebrations when he done that were just phenomenal I think Peter Beagrey did it if I can remember right for Everton like back in the day but he was the only person up here doing that kind of thing do you know that's, um, a, fu- that's a funny thing because you talk about Stevie Cooper and, and how good he was in the air and that big spring that he had yeah. I can remember being absolutely amazed that I ended up, I was, I, I was at a game and I walked down, I was behind the scenes somewhere and I walked down beside him and, and he wasn't that tall. He wasn't much taller than me. So, so the fact that he won so much yeah. in the air, I mean, he wasn't a big, I, I expected him to be a foot taller than me and, and, right. and he wasn't, he wasn't massive. What was he? Was about, about six foot, six foot one or something like that, yeah. Was he? I'm not sure I he was even so as tall as that. I think so, but yeah, it was it was his natural spring. I mean, he was just um, he was a he was a gymnast. I mean, it was he'd obviously he obviously had kind of muscles that a lot of us don't have. Uh, <laughs> like the rugby players, they kind of work on their kind of skills, you know, for their lineouts. And he's obviously been way way ahead of the game with that kind of thing. So you um, saw you saw it with his goal. I know I know I'm probably preempting that wee bit in your order calling there, but his goal against Hearts in the cup semi final. That, that kind of epitomised it really, didn't it? Yeah. Coming yeah. in behind the guy and jump, out jumping him. Yeah. Keep, keep your powder Absolutely. dry on that one. Uh, but I, <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> Colin, this is not a secret. <laughs> <that> <laughs> remember this. Yeah, but the Dunfermline game itself, the Dunfermline game itself was a cracker. I mean, I think it was it two 0 or two one. I think it was two 0 wasn't it? Two 0 Yeah. Uh, that, that we won. That was a really good Dunfermline team at that point in time as well. Remember, you know, I think we were we were obviously at that point in time we were. Um, League One. I'm sure they were in the Premier League, if I can remember rightly. Maybe they were, maybe they weren't. I think they had get promoted the year before, if I can mind right. Um, so they were a Premier League team, yeah. very strong team. If I remember right, the guys like Robertson, Smith, I think McCarthy was still there at the time. I think maybe 
better watch what I'm saying on that one right enough, but they had a cracking team anyway, regardless. So for us to win 2 0 like that, you know, that was a really professional display again for you know one of the classic Airdrie teams at the time. Remember by that time we had we had guys like John Davis and Paul Harvey who came into the team and it had totally it totally transformed for the even the ninety two team. It was much more kind of football minded by this point. Harvey was playing as a sort of false I wouldn't say false now, it's maybe the wrong kind of thing, but the two the two the two strikers sort of split more onto the the full backs whenever we were playing the ball out. So we would go for a long diagonal and we'd usually run a lot of throw ins kinda of high up the pitch when the centre halves were having to come out the way to challenge Andy Smith or Steve Cooper and they would head the ball out for a, a throw in twenty yards for goal, which which we would kinda of, you know, we kinda of feast on it, we'd get us right up the pitch. And Harvey played in that kind of role where when the two strikers were pulling wide, the centre half didn't you know whether he kind of come out with them or, or, or he stay, and Harvey ended up in all that space. So you know, Doddy was way ahead of his time, I think, in terms of how he played the game. And then he brought in John Davis, who was more a, a passer and mover, whereas previously, you know, the, the, the last cup final was Big Evan, who was like obviously Evan was a brilliant player for his, you know, big, strong, great in the air, win the ball, kind of move it. But now we had John Davis, who was much more a passer and mover. So we became a football team that was starting to. They were starting to really kind of gel at that point. If you can remember right, and that that game was the kind of turning point where you thought this is actually a seriously good team again, you know. And I think we had a wobble after the, the you know the eighth defeat in the cup semi final, you know, the in the league cup a couple of months earlier. That was us really back and really kind of showing, you know, that that we're potentially this is a very very good team we've got here. So that that was a great game. I, I absolutely loved that, and I'd rather win that game two 0 then, you know, maybe beating somebody rotten eight 0 or something. That was a real display, you know, where you thought we're we're, we're good. Never realised we we're going to be that good, but you know. And a nice segue you mentioned, Ray. There, so we'll come on to right, anybody that listens to this podcast regularly will be sick of me talking about the game because it was my favourite Airdrie game of all time. But the, the quarter final, um, and, and looking at the footage, a bit like when we did the the piece last time you were on with the. Um, game up in Perth in 1990 uh, flash to Starts Park it's uh, they've, well, they've still got their terracing so it looks quite different to how it does today it was absolutely chock full uh, the sun was shining uh, I remember you know the, the, the houses that you can actually see into the ground just to the well, to the left of the, the stand where we would now sit uh, where the, the, the little bit of terrace there is quite low and there was guys like sitting on the windowsill it just it <laughs> felt like almost when you see the like, early rounds of the FA Cup and these little grounds are, are just rammed full of people because the Cup's in town uh, and uh, again context Wraith Rovers were technically going for a treble they'd won the League Cup having beaten us in the, the semi-final penalties beaten Celtic uh, in the final they were on course to win the league uh, and then they, we were in the quarterfinals of the Scottish Cup, so they'd have fancied their, their chances. Um, but we had a good record against them that season. We'd knocked them out of the Challenge Cup uh, when we were on the way to, to winning that. Uh, so it was set up nicely. Uh, and then just, just what unfolded was just an absolutely wonderful afternoon. Uh, Gordon, do you want to give us some thoughts on, on that? Or maybe do a bit of your tactical piece on why did it go so right that day? <laughs> Well, I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to kind of like take all the words away from Alan. So no, definitely. No, on you go, Gordon. You just got. You go ahead. But Wraith were unbeaten, if I can remember rightly, and I don't think I'm wrong. But I think Wraith had been unbeaten since the, the the League Cup final as well. Getting into that game, so they had been on a long spell. 
unbeaten and they were they were building so they had a they had a really good team as well. You know, they had guys like Dennis and Sinclair at the back, you know, they were really strong. They had they had good fullbacks like Broadland, Mark and Espy, they had Danny Lennon, Colin Cameron, Stevie Crawford, the Ellen, uh, Big Ali Graham up front. Barry Wilson on the wing was dynamite at the time, if you can remember right in our league, he was extremely fast and powerful. That was a good team. Jason Dare was the other one. They had a very good team, very strong, you know, all over the pitch. I mean, they, they obviously proved it. I mean, they went to Munich and did well over there as well, if you can remember right a few months later. But obviously, I just said before, I think that was one of the best teams that we've had as well. And the team that went into that game, I mean, just, just well, every single person in that, that, that pitch knew their job that day. Boyle and Stewart at the, the wing-back roles, you know, always gave 100%. You always get a totally professional display. I think we had Jack Sanderson and Hay at the back that day, you know, worked really well. Big Graham was, you know, he only he was only there for a couple of years, obviously, because he's working, whatever else, but he, he was rock solid. He was very good in the air, which he needed against Ali Graham, because Ali Graham was that kind of striker. Ali Graham very rarely lost a header, and he was a handful every time we played him. Um, you know, midfield was the, you know, the big three that we were talking about there. John Davis and, and, and Kenny Black were the two midfielders. Harvey was playing that role. You know, after strikers, he was a, a forward, but he was playing deep. And, and and I think we had Smith and Cooper up front, if I can remember rightly, starting that game, where, again, we were looking for that long out ball, you know, try and win the ball. So, you know, Sanderson would know that he could go diagonal to either of them. Whenever we are in the ball, Harvey would drop into the, the midfield Gandhi would, would maybe kind of pull over to the right hand side so he would be he would be trying to draw Sinclair out and you know get between him and Broado. Sanderson would try and hit them and of course Sinclair or Dennis. Right Gordon I've cut you off in your prime there we've had our latest disaster on the, the podcast so you've just run us through the the Wraith Rovers team and the Airdrie team on the day uh, but then we've, we've lost quite a lot of the road to Hamden so we can go back over it not a problem to talk about Airdrie when we were good uh, but the, the quarter final I mean a, a great match to to watch. Uh, you you were talking through who was playing for Airdrie that day. Why do you think it clicked? Because it, it really did. It was four one. Could have been about eight one. Uh, Ruth Rovers two red cards at the end of it. How, how what was that about the setup that just meant we we dominated them? Well, it, it was kind of the classic setup for for that particular season. You know, the the defence had kind of set up Jack. And Graham Hay, you know, playing as the sort of the, the markers at the back, Sanderson sweeping, and you know, you still had Boyle and Stewart as the fullbacks. You had John Davis uh, and Kenny Blacks, you know, playing in the middle of midfield, and you know, both guys were great in the ball. They were they were able to get the ball forward, passing and moving through the midfield, and of course, they had Paul Harvey playing behind the front too. So I think this is an occasion it was obviously Smith and Cooper. Um, Har- Harvey was kind of playing off of them, you know, kind of pulling the strings and creating that space at centre half. Don't feel comfortable with um, you know nowadays they call it the false nine obviously you know when you know Messi would play that position and drop off the front line in the centre house when they know what to do and McDonald played that really well and they had the team so well drilled but if you look at them they had you know they played so many games together um, you know over a long period of time that kind of that defensive unit everybody knew each other's jobs they were all in their prime they were all fit as a fiddle um, but they were so well drilled you know with a specific way that we built up play um and, and just everything in that game worked a treat. It's as if we've been drilled, you know, for months just waiting in this one game coming so that we could we could absolutely hit them for six. And of course, Rafe Rovers had to been beat for, for months. I don't think Rafe had actually lost since 
um, you know, before the, the League Cup one, you know, three or four months earlier. So this was their first defeat, and it was as if it was McDonald's kind of focus for so long, um, you know, to hear the team playing like this and, and be ready to, to really kind of get to somebody big time, you know, like we did that day. So, you know, if you watch the game itself, it's the goals, all, all had a kind of certain feel about it, you know, the, the first goal for Harvey, you know, we get it for a, for a throw in that we've won, and we're talking about building up the play, you know, it's a long ball out to Smith. Dennis comes and has it out of play, um, just like we we probably predicted and played for. A long throw, Alan will love that, obviously. You know, it was a long throw for Jimmy <laughs> Boyd that again. That again, Dennis. Dennis has, uh, Everything comes from a long time, throw, was, doesn't it? <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny when you look back at our, our, our kind of recent history, but the first goal in the quarterfinal against Hibs three years earlier was for one as well, Alan. You'll be glad to know, and again, Jimmy Boyle. But on this occasion, Boyle throws it, Dennis has it out, and Paul Harvey kind of hooks the ball home with his left foot. But you notice in the game, he actually tried something very similar earlier on. It's as if he set his sights. You know, his first effort that, that was easily saved, but this time he made no mistake. The, sec- the second goal, it's, it's again another well-worked move. Sandy Stewart picks up a loose ball, hits the in-swing corner deep to Cooper. He has it back. And John Davis has made that run forward for the midfield and hooks the ball home. The team, the team was just poetry in motion at times when, when everything clicked. It was just we had the perfect blend in that team, you know, uh, uh, you know, guys that would fight for every for fight for every ball. Everybody knew what their defensive duties was, but whenever they whenever they clicked and needed to create a goal, they could do it. And you seen it all through the first half in that game. Wraith never knew what hit them, you know. It was I think, I think the only thing that they won that day was the throat, you know, was the, you know the, the throw at the start of the game, you know, the, the coin toss. They never done a thing after that, and and it was just. You know, it was just poetry in motion. We seen that team was, you know, kind of clicking to, clicking to feet. And you never felt like you were going to lose, you know, during that game. There's not really much you can say about it, but there was so much, there was artistry, you know, through guys like Davis and Harvey. You had the, the industry, guys like Kenny Black. Um, you know, just a work rate everywhere, which, you know, unfortunately, we've not really seen much of that for any other Airdrie team since then, on a kind of consistent basis. The team was just brilliant. And that was yeah, a, the, the, that third, the third goal close. kind of, do you know, I think it kind of summed up the, the defeat. Was it Mark? Was it not Mark and Espy? The, the, third, the third one, uh, the, the penalty <laughs> was just total frustration because they couldn't get near us. And fouled is in the. Who was it fouled? Robotham. Ro, was it Robotham that brought down Andy Smith? So it was Andy Smith was playing like a sulky winger at the time, cutting into the ball. Aye. And I think it was Jason Robotham actually that, that hooked him down. Because I think Robotham came on, uh, sorry, somebody came on at half time and Robotham went to centre mid, if I can remember rightly. And, you know, I think they had a wee bit of a reshuffle. And um, I, think he, I think he just absolutely scythed on Big Andy. Aye, it wasn't one of Andy's dives, like a la Patrick <laughs> yeah, on the few. belly. Remember that one? And there was one against Mother Mote, so I'm going to forgive him. Aye, they absolutely <laughs> halved. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it was desperation, Alan, wasn't it? It was, I, it like, was, it was I think they were resigned. They just couldn't get near us the whole game. And as you say, Doddy was quite funny in the in the interview afterwards, wasn't he? When, he's, when they asked him if he would, did he feel troubled at any point? And he said he was a bit annoyed that he felt a bit awkward when they lost the toss. But after that, it was fine. I stole your thunder with that one. <laughs> he did. He totally did. You give away your best lines. And the first recording. It could have been more. It could have been more though as well that day. Remember, guys, remember the the Paul Harvey lob for the halfway line. All right, Kenny Black at the post. 
Kenny Block, I mean, that was with that free kick. My God, that was brilliant, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, it was just an absolute thunderbolt. And um, remember, they had the camera behind the goals. And it, it showed you it was almost like a tracer heading for that top corner, but unfortunately, just probably one or two inches inside. You know, and that's one of the goals that will never they would never stop showing in telly. Kind of thing. It, it, it would have looked like a tracer if it hadn't gone in about eight stages with that camera. Yeah. <laughs> you know, four four did, frames did, per second. Did that only jump out at you as well? Though the camera in the back of the net, I can't remember the last time I saw one of those technologies moved on so much that even oh, like Diamonds TV can have a GoPro, uh, but the, the one that was like hanging in the back corner of the net, and it's, it's quite a, a good camera angle to see for some of the goals in in those cup runs. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the unfortunate thing, I can still remember the one for the 92 Cup final, so uh, we'll not talk about the things. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> Alan, what else do you remember from that, David? There was Harvey's piece de resistance. Oh, yes, I, I mean, I, th- I think what I remember was that round about me, uh, nobody actually cheered initially when the ball went in. Everybody, as the ball was in the air floating over the goalkeeper, everybody just went, Oh, like that's magic! It was brilliant. You you just knew that it was a supply, a sublime bit of skill that you were you were witnessing, and and then the ball hit the net, and everybody was just jumping up and down because it was the kind of icing and the cake a wee bit. It was it was one of the moments I think just about everybody passed out because I think there was just a sharp intake of oxygen. You could actually kind of like hear everybody's kind of cheer kind of suspended mid air, like there was no oxygen, just as everybody kind of gasped and waiting and that ball hitting the net. It, was, it seemed to take forever. If I can remember, it was also right, roasting, was it? It was roasting warm. Oh yeah, yeah it was a good, pretty good day. Because there was guy, do you not remember there was guys sunbathing out in those those windows looking over from the houses looking over the wall? Oh yeah. <laughs> Although they're usually as the fifers, I mean they're usually doing that in the middle of winter as well, right enough. But <laughs> oh, there's, there's probably a few but scenes you a, don't really want to see through those windows. It was a cracking day. I mean, in, in terms of the day, it kind of reminds me of that day in Perth we spoke about last time. Um, you know, like a really kind of like a really really brilliant spring day, and um, you get them at the end of March. You know, where it's it's unseasonably warm, and um, just everything seemed to be right that day, didn't it? But the goal itself for Harvey was just it was a thingy, absolute beauty. As we as we as we're speaking tonight, this is this we're recording this tonight that Borussia Dortmund and Bayern Munich played in the Bundesliga on TV, and there was a boy called Joshua Kimmich scored a goal. Now the finish was the same as was the same as Harvey's a, a, a kind of right-footed chip for you know the edge of the D, and um, it was actually the same way that the ball flighted over the goalie. But the build-up to the, the the goal wasn't as good, um, you know, as Harvey's. Harvey's was far more stylish and just a wee bit more to it, right? But they're talking about that being, you know, a, you know, an absolute classic here goal. When have we ever heard that? And even, you know, not so much in the we probably do talk about it, right? But when you're talking about great goals, it hardly ever gets a mention. But my God, that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I don't know if that's a Scottish thing to talk about goals like that being, you know, the delicate chips. But you remember, you remember the, the, the way it kind of happened. The ball was kind of bouncing about. He did that kind of thing that, you know, they talk about Iniesta, you know, like the, the wee kind of thing that they caught in Spain or Italy, they call La Pausa, where, you know, they just kind of like almost pause for a second, they, they kind of check, they don't they don't go and swing a foot at it immediately, they maybe kind of like get a patience to kind of just let the boss sit, let the, the scene unfold before them and then boom, you know, that, that, that lovely wee chip they done. We don't talk about the delicacies like that, you know, the things that were absolutely brilliant. And... What about Doddy then? So... 
the quote at the end of the, the match we've already mentioned, uh, he asked by the, the reporter, oh, were you worried at any point? He says, ah, when they went up for the, the coin toss, I wasn't sure, but after that it was fine. Uh, just absolute swagger uh, after after the performance. Uh, and Stephen Eaton's got a, a clip on YouTube, which I'll drop into this podcast, which is just a whole load of Doddyisms. So I've spoken to the man. Uh, he was very modest and he, he put cup victories uh, down to a team effort and said John Binney was an excellent scout and always helped him in setting him up. But w- w- what can we say about Alex McDonald? I mean, the, the cup runs largely down to, to him. It must be. What do you reckon, Gordon? Well, he was callous, <laughs> given that. Um, you know, typical kind of wee man kind of finger on there. He always thought he was, you know, you know, he, he could outpunch the big guys, you know, and, and um, he set up to do that. So, you know, that, that wee clip of Dodiisms is, you know, as a guy that, you know, me kind of try to do my best coaching at, you know, a kind of grassroots level. And um, you learn more, you know, in that, 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 that short video than you would, you know, in any kind of coaching courses. And, um, it's just the psychology of the guy, you know. He's, you know, every every game he set out, he went with three up front. Um, the the first thing we always thought was how am I going to score a goal? First of all, because you've got to, you can't win a football match without scoring. So every every game we played, no matter who it was, three up front right away. There was there was tactics how to how to actually score a goal or two every game. And he certainly knew how to shut the door, and you know he played in a different way for for most other Scottish clubs. That that back three that he played at Airdrie, you know, the way through his career, um, it was kind of Germanish in style. You know, the same kind of you know three four three type formation that we played, and um, it was slightly different in the way we carry it out. You know, we, we don't have the same kind of ball playing. You know, kind of centre backs. You know, in this country that you didn't have a close organ talent, but you know, you get Sanderson and you get kind of target men that he could that he could get the ball forward to. You know, and try and you know and try and win possession. And, and in fairness, Martin O'Neill did the same thing at Celtic, whereas we would play for a throw in twenty yards. Out, Martin O'Neill would play for a free kick 25-30 yards. Out, and it, it, it was kind of similar in the way where he done it. And you know, as a player, Doddy had played at a high, high level. You know, we Rangers he won the, the Cup Winners' Cup in nineteen seventy two and. You know, as a, an eight-year-old kid, I can remember, I can remember seeing highlights of a, a Rangers Juventus game, if I can remember rightly on telly, which I think McDonald scored in. So he was always a player that, you know, when I was younger, you know, you kind of recognised him. We obviously went to Hearts, and you know, once once his time at Rangers was up, he was starting to age a wee bit. He went to Hearts, had a, a real kind of renaissance through his thirties, you know, and you know, player manager kind of thing there, and he was always playing at a high level. Um, he always managed at a high level and he brought something to us that we had been missing, you know, for a spell. Um, but every game that he played, you know, it was this kind of like, you know, we can go there and we can beat them. And there wasn't any doubts, but he built a team and you're talking there about John Benny, Danny Scouting. They, they brought in players that, that had that kind of that mindset. They were physically capable. You know, every every player that he that he had were physically fit. They could go the whole ninety minutes. Um, you know, at a high level. Um, but they had that mindset as well. Everybody was doggedly determined to kind of to do their job. And I remember I remember kind of being about the, the players occasionally. You know, if you bump into them. Um, that there was a real workman like kind of thing about them. You know, everybody knew their job and. Um, they, they could carry that out, you know, and he, he motivated them for definite, but he never asked a player to do anything he couldn't do himself as well, which which I think is quite important. And um, there's, there's so many things in his psychology, in his psyche, that, um, you know, that appeals to I, I think us. There was a sim- I think, Gordon, I think there was a, a, quite a simplicity 
and he and he's ethos and how to play football. I, I can remember having a conversation with him about, and it actually all started off because I was having a bit of a moan because he was playing Owen Coyle and almost in the left hand side of the mm-hmm. of the forward line, and and he was trying to explain how uh, he, Coyle was playing in the channels and whatever. But he was but he was saying as well, he's like. I, I get the, I get I get Sanderson or somebody to hump the ball up the park into the general vicinity of it, and if if Coyle doesn't get on the ball at that point, their defenders under major pressure. Nine times out of ten, they kick the ball outside, and within one or two seconds of play, we've moved from our penalty box and you know ten yards away from ten, ten yards from from their corner flag. And that was exactly. That's exactly what I spoke about during the Wraith Rovers thing there. But obviously, by the time Coyle had went, we brought in Steve Cooper and, and Andy Smith. So, you know, when we played with, with Smith, with Cooper and with Paul Harvey there, Paul Harvey was the original kind of, if you want, the, the original kind of false nine, if you want, right? I know I know I'll get laughed at for saying that, right? But what happened to be exactly what you're saying there? Cooper, Cooper and Smith would pull into the channels and it worked so perfectly that season that when, when Sanderson launched above forward, they two guys were well over six foot tall, right? Both of them really good in the air. If you if you if you go high into the, the channel for the guys, the centre halves are having to come out the way to header the ball. Like the first goal at Wraith, if you remember rightly, I don't know if it was Dennis or Sinclair, but whoever whoever was out there marking Andy Smith, they had to header the ball out the way. There was no way the full backs were going to compete in the air. So they were heading the ball out the way. The other thing as well, we Harvey playing as as you know, as a forward and off he was able to drop into a space between the midfield and the, the defence because the centre-halves had to stay back to be able to challenge Cooper or Smith in the air. So two guys were really, in essence, you know, pinning back their, their back four and Harvey had all that space to play. And it was, it, it was although it was simplicity, it was there was a whole purpose to it in, in the way he'd done things. And what you've just said there actually nails what I was saying earlier on about him. So. How do you think... He- he fits in the, the pantheon of Airdrie managers in your time watching the, the club, Alan. Do you have him up there? Oh, I think you've got to. I think I think there's no there's not really a, a, a comparison. It's uh, it was just a wee bit of a shame that you know it all had to end and and uh, you, you, you kind of felt that probably if if, if Doddy had just bought brought a couple of younger players in and refreshed the team a wee bit, he could almost still have been there. You know, there would have been no there would have been nothing to level against them in, in in terms of in terms of lack of success, you know. Yeah. I think but, the, the, the Dale money was also gone at the time, and you saw what happened when he left and Gary McKay took over. So he was still getting a tune out of Airdrie's players in 1998. We managed to beat Celtic at home. Uh, I do think this kind of the, the club was in a, a much worse state, and that probably stopped him bringing in the kind of guys that he would like. But one thing that that struck me, I always thought of Doddy as an old man. Now I'm looking at him as an eleven year old. Uh, I know, I know. Maybe his late forties uh, or something. Forty seven in nineteen ninety five. Uh, oh. And that's maybe just that's what. Well, as a prematurely greying thirty six year old, I'm now more sympathetic to it. Uh, but but. Given that he was only so, he must only be early fifties by the time he leaves Airdrie. It does feel like an absolute crime that he never got a turn somewhere else. I mean, Gordon, you've mentioned his playing career. One of a handful of Scottish players with a European medal did really well at Rangers. Handfuls of domestic honours. Goes to Hearts. 
gets them promoted and almost wins the league. Suffers heartache there, but I mean they've not been any closer to it since then. Uh, comes to Airdrie, gets us to two Scottish Cup finals in three years. Uh, I mean, he's just seems like an absolute winner as a personality throughout his life and yet he's not got another gig and I, 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 I can't work out why that that is I mean God, we did speak about this before Gordon do you think the the age of the coach and and the the Largs Mafia and stuff do you think that's maybe just his face didn't fit anymore Def- I definitely don't think it I, I definitely don't think it um, it helps that's for sure because I couldn't I couldn't imagine somebody like Alan McDonald going there and getting told how he should be doing things by somebody that's never done things at the level he's done. So I can imagine that would be quite a that would be quite a an awkward thing. Not that he couldn't do it or anything, but I think it, I think what what they preach kind of goes against what he does. I mean, his his whole style was completely alien, you know, to, to what they're coaching. Um, but he might have lost his he might have lost that that desire after you know what happened to Adrian. You know, he'd been on the go for you know for nearly forty years in football. You know, certainly thirty odd anyway. And um, at a high level, never really stopped. It might well have been, a, you know, we all know that he, he loved his Harley Davidson, you know, and it might well have been a case that he decided to, you know, that you know things were going to be a wee bit more simple. He's maybe made his money and he's decided he wanted to, you know, to, to kind of chill now that he was in his 50s. I don't know. Um, I've never really heard much. I know there was talk at one point in time that Stennis Muir were looking at taking him in, which probably had to do with Pete. But, um, yeah, I was shocked he never came back though in football. But I know he had a job as a van driver, you know, kind of running about the kind of the, I don't know if it was running about the shipyards or something. But I know he was driving a van at one point in time, and he's he maybe just decided enough was enough, you know, as far as football went, and wanted to spend time with his family. I, I don't know, but it was it's football's loss though. It was certainly Airdrie's loss, and I think, I think football in general's loss that he, he went because I think, you know, when you look at what he'd done, I think he was miles ahead at times of the rest of the game. You know, he had us competing in a way that, that we shouldn't have been, but we're a style of football that you don't really see in Scotland, even now. Um, there's nothing quite like what he was actually doing. The nearest that I've seen to him was actually Martin O'Neill at Celtic. Um, which will not win me many fans obviously saying that, but that was the nearest I've seen to, to Doddy's style when Celtic got to the UEFA. Cup final in 03 because um, they you know they played with a back three and it was the same kind of it was the same kind of boss forward um, you know quite direct football but you know with that plan I kind of winning possession just as you said Alan 25-30 yards out for goal um, you know that was the way that Celtic played that year under O'Neill um, but I've never seen anything like it since and you know who am I to say the, the level of Scottish football but you know we could do it guys like you know McDonald that you know that could maybe kind of he's playing at a higher level than than we're currently doing so there's a point and I asked him this and he he said no Uh, I asked him has anybody sought you as a mentor because I'm thinking look at Rangers right Steven Gerrard had a great start to the season and then from Christmas it's just all gone massively wrong if you wanted somebody to give you guidance as to how to end Celtic's dominance well McDonald wasn't the successful Rangers team that eventually broke uh, the the hold on Scottish football that Jockstein Celtic had. Uh, Hearts are in total disarray again. Uh, who took them over and got them out of that last time? Alex McDonald. Airdrie, when the, the, the consortium went through and, it, and it, we announced that there were going to be all these different committees, one of which was a football committee with uh, Martin Ferguson, Bobby Watson and Ian McMillan. And I know they're from a different era, but I do wonder, do we overcomplicate things? Are some things about football still universally true? And could minds like 
Ian McMillan, who got Airdrie to a Scottish Cup final, uh, Alex McDonald, who got us to two Scottish Cup finals and did a lot else in his career. Do you think those could be a useful sounding board for somebody like Ian Murray while he's still finding his way through? He might not be comfortable in, in having someone having total power over him, but even just as somebody to speak to him and, and mentor him. Uh, Alan, I'll give, it, I'll give that to you. Do you think, is there a role there for, do we write off older coaches too quickly? I think, of course we do. It's 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 a simple game, you know, and Gordon mentioned it earlier on. You know, all, all you've got to do is score more goals than the opposition. And, you know, we, we, we get tied up with tactics and, you know, defensive, you know, complications and zonal marking instead of man marking and whatever else. You know, you want to be going out and, yeah, and have a guy that's, that puts his arm around the big player and says, mate, stand beside that guy and don't let him buy you, you know, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, just, just geez the players up and wants them to, you know, die for you and, 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 and totally play for the jersey, you know, rather than getting, you know, forwards, play on that last man, you're faster than him, watch for the ball coming over and, and beat him to it. You know, it's, Gordon, you're probably having kittens at the thought of these sort of, tactics but you know they're, 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 I think there is a level of simplicity that's that's completely lost you know nowadays right. as, as they do right. overthink it and to be honest uh, you give too many footballers too many things to think about you know they, 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 they don't get it sometimes it's just too I, I, hard I, I, in a game I, situation to, to you know to constantly be thinking about where I should be and what I should be doing you know there's a lot of gut instinct involved in football yeah, I mean, football in general is too, too, too complicated. I keep hearing a lot at the moment. I think um, a lot of people that, that love their coaching badges and that kind of thing put too much emphasis on the coach and the tactics and, and everything else. See, see when it all comes down to it, football's not actually about coaches. Football's not actually about blackboards and, you know, you know markers on a week in a table or anything like that. It's, it's actually about players. Um, give us the, give us the Jimmy know, Bone line, Gordon. But, what one? Uh, what, what, All right about the simplicity of football. It was one of the days I played in one of these kind of charity games. You know, the, the late great Mark, Mark Allison had a, a game going on, and you know, I think, I think he I think he got in Jimmy Bone as one of the two team managers that day. And I, I knew Jimmy for the for, for the SFA type coaching badges that we need today, and for that, and you know, he. he, he we were in the dressing room. I was in goals that day. So I remember Molly Maguire kind of like smashed me in the face to win a penalty. You know, look at this. <laughs> That's a rude joke. I did kind of half bring him down as well, right enough. But anyway, Jimmy, Jimmy was the manager that day, right? And um, he pits his arm around us and, you know, going out to dressing room. He goes, See this fit, my management son. He says, A piece of fucking piss. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, What do you mean? He says, you only, need, you, only, you only need to remember two things, pal, right? And he says, Tell your players what today. And tell them they're good at it. That's the only two things that you need to remember. And it was like, you know, I'm thinking to myself, you know, like, this doesn't sound very complicated. You're not going to make a, a twelve-part Netflix documentary out of this, Jimmy. You know, and and he was like, two things. And um, and the, the mere thought of it, I was like, he's absolutely bang on. It's like it's, it's clear instructions. So obviously, tell the player what to do. That's obviously tactics and psychology and all sorts of things. But it's a clear instruction. Football player, you've got to remember that football players. See if you see if you're kind of like mingling amongst the Airdrie players. You know that sometimes get the privilege of doing that. They're young boys. I mean, I'm 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 a, I'm, a, I'm fifty year old in two weeks' time, right? And um, 
um, you know, these these guys on, you know, that that we're paying to go and watch. Some of them are as young as eighteen, nineteen year old, and early twenties. You know, like Kyle McDonald, Callum Smith, Liam McCann. They were nineteen year old last season. You know, for most of the season, and um, they're, they're very, very young boys, right? And even the mere experienced pros are in their mid twenties. You know, in in our workplaces and that, they're considered you know like just young, young, young people that still need a lot of a lot of guidance and instruction. And you know they're always looking to their coaching staff, like you know, for for they're looking for praise, they're looking for assurance that you know you you what you're doing's right, you know what you're doing's good. They're all looking for that. They're all kind of like they've they've came through academy systems where everything's laid on a plate for them, and you know they've never really had to to do any kind of manual work. They've never really had to clean players' boots like they used to do in the old days or whatever. So everything's about reassurance and instruction and whatever else. And I think Bone actually kind of nailed it. The, the clearer the instruction. And and, and and the praise that you know what you're doing is good. I trust you, you know, to do your job. And that's that's what Bone was meaning. And it, I think there's a lot to do with that. And but you notice as well with, with all the top coaches anywhere in the world, it's it's not always entirely due to this. Although they might make you think it, you look at Pep Guardiola, for example, right, and all this talk about being some kind of football genius, you know, like Einstein or whatever else, he still has to go and pay fortunes for the kind of players that he wants today's job. It's not about him, it's about the players. And I think that's one of the great things about guys like Alec McDonald was that he knew a football player when he seen one. He knew what it took because he had been there. He'd been in, he'd been in the dugouts with him, uh, sorry, in the dressing rooms with him, on the pitch with him. He's been into battle with him. He knows what kind of characters he wants, what kind of players he wants. He, he knows, you know, how to win games at a high, high level. And it's it's the guys that can actually kind of take that. Um, you know, and, and kind of put that whole kind of package together. And it's not just about the manager himself. There wouldn't be much point in Alec McDonald men or Neen Murray, for example. Neen Murray probably needs his own people that he can turn to. Uh, you know, McDonald's guys would maybe be guys like Owen Coyle or Sandy Stewart that would maybe kind of, you know, guys that's played under them that are in management <clears> now that would maybe want to seek his advice rather than somebody new. And I don't know where I'm going with this. To be well, honest, I was going to say, and Jimmy Bone said that in two sentences. And that's, <laughs> yeah, and that's that, that, that's exactly that's it. But it's so simple, and, and that, that that was the whole point of that story, you know. He'd... Let's get on the road to Hamden then. So semi-final draw comes out. Adrianians will play Heart of Midlothian. Alan, job done at that point. I, I, I that, that's my lasting memory. The whole thing. I went along to the game thinking we are not going to lose this game. Um, Hearts rarely lay a finger on us. It was not. It, it, it wasn't even computing that we would lose that. I remember I'd rotten seats behind behind the the goals, really low down, so you couldn't see. Not a wonderful, uh, a wonderful view of the game. Stevie Cooper scored his goal, and I thought that's it. That's it. I felt very comfortable. I was all the way to the final after that. And it was very rarely. It's a very rare moment in an Airdrie game that you feel like that. To be honest, did, Alan, did you go to that game? Actually, think to yourself, how many goals are we going to beat Celtic by in the final? Rather than are we going to beat Hearts? Yeah, I, I was. I, I was starting. <laughs> to, I was starting to talk to my mates about, oh, that Celtic aren't very good. This is our year. You know, they're 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 there for the beating. <laughs> so much for that. And uh, right, well, let's put it in a bit quick so we can dismiss Hearts at our, uh, because we we always the team used to do it I for us, uh, but. That Hearts team had beaten Dundee United, who were the holders, uh, after even Golak had told them to smell the flowers, uh, and they'd beaten Rangers, who were still in the midst of nine in a row at the time. So 
I remember watching Friday Night Sports scene. I can't remember which Hearts player, but he was asked a question about well, what about your opposition tomorrow. And it's, a, it's a classic football question, and usually they say something very respectful. He didn't even he kind of said with with all due respect to Airdrie, which obviously is then going to follow something with little respect in it. We'd expect to win that game. We've beaten all these big teams. We need to be knocking out a first division team to get to the final. Uh, and they didn't. I don't know. I don't know how much of it was complacency or nerves on their part. Uh, Gordon, again, I think you you think of all the McDonald games you've ever seen, this was maybe his, his best in terms of setting a team up and, and catching the opposition off guard and just outthinking another coach. There should have been a book on this one, mate. It, it sh- this should have been shown as the masterclass of the old time. He went into that game with we, we a back four that were, that were none of them were anywhere close to six foot tall. You had Sanderson and Jack were about five nine, five ten, and they were they were giants compared to the two fullbacks, Stuart and Boyle. Um, but in essence, in that first half of that game, we were actually playing with a back two the entire first half. We went into it with you know practically a two five three formation that day. And there was a wee, there was a wee stroke of genius for, for McDonald, you know, I'm talking away there about, you know, obviously tactics are minor and it's all about players, but McDonald knew that, remember the guy Colin Miller that played with Hearts at the time, I think he was a Canadian international and I think they had gotten for Rangers or something, I can't remember, but um, he was normally playing left back that day and what Doddy did was he, he, he obviously, he, he went with his normal front three kind of thing, so I think it was Lawrence Cooper and, and Harvey that were playing that day up front. And um, he knew that Colin Miller, that, you know, he knew Tommy McLean would crap it and make Colin Miller man mark Paul Harvey, and which worked to a treat. So what happened? What happened to make up for that was he brought the left winger David. In fact, he was, he was playing as a second striker. He brought David Pagan back to play almost as a fullback, right? And that let Jimmy Boyle get all the way up the pitch. He also left out John Cahoon. So Sandy Stewart was forward on the other side as well. And, you know, we ended up with, with a back two, Jack and Sanderson, who were pretty much just marking John Robertson between them. Um, the other thing that they had gone that day as well was that John Miller, who was fair to as well, but John Miller um, was playing as, you know, the kind of the attacking midfielder for them. And he was he was pretty much the top scorer that year in the goal threat. So, of course, what Doddy did was he brought in Andy Smith to, to man-mark him, and he did a great job just totally snuffing him out. So we ended up with, you know, with, with Smith, Davis and Black playing in midfield that day. And and um, we, we just ran all over them. They, they had absolutely nothing on us at all. And we had them pretty much hemmed in for that entire first half. We, we scored that incredible goal. And, you know, I think they actually changed things just before half-time, bringing on John Cohen. But by that point, we had already beat them anyway. That was, that, that was game over by that point. So, um, they absolutely won that one, you know, in the changing room, basically. You know, he, he, he went out, he destroyed them. And Hearts had no answers at all. They were never going to come near us that day. And the goal, it's, uh, Alan, you won't remember this because it was now two nights ago, <laughs> but uh, it's a Stevie <laughs> Cooper classic. And not only that, what... I'd forgotten about uh, or or never realised it's it's the classic winger Andy Smith who puts the ball in uh, I mean you had a terrible seat to watch it from but you've had the 25 years to, to, to look back on the, the, the Cooper man as the headline was tell us about that goal well he, he jumped very high didn't he and and that was exactly the goal you know it was athleticism it was almost a, a gymnastic ability to sneak in in the blind side of the defender who, in fairness, didn't didn't mark up particularly well, didn't see him coming, 
and he just he, he just physically leapt like a leapt like a salmon. There's a good a good phrase, and uh, and and bulleted the header by the by the goalkeeper. It was it was just perfect. Uh, and just yeah, Andy Smith beating the man and, and and crossing the ball in, unbelievable. And Robert Dale's in the process of putting up loads of old photos. I'm trying to put them back out through Twitter and the uh, the Facebook page. It's great just to look at them, but. Uh, it's the, the the still frame of Stevie Cooper when he's at the peak of his jump. He has his miles in the air. It's like Cristiano Ronaldo now or something. Uh, what what an ability to to be able to do that. And 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 again, no surprise Alex McDonald found a way to to use that to the maximum. So it's a weird one because I think maybe because of where we were sitting and it's Hamden or whatever, the the atmosphere and just the experience of that match. Isn't as burned in my memory and isn't as positive as the uh, the way game at, at Wraith Rovers. Dare I say it? Do you not think the Airdrie fans are maybe a bit blasé about it all at that point? Another semi final. Even when you look at the the crowd, wasn't you know? If we went to a semi final now, we would probably almost fill that 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 whole area that we were in. But there was a lot of seats about. It wasn't a massive massive crowd. I think we just got a wee bit expectant about the whole yeah, thing and a bit entitled. You you remember the the only excuse Alan Hansen joke? What what Deirdre fans have in common with B Watch fans? They both experience a lot of semis, <laughs> and at, at that time it was the, the the third semi-final of the year if you count the B and Q Cup, which which we won, yeah. uh, and why wouldn't we? Uh, and like League Cup, okay, League Cup semi-finals were painful experiences, but we were just doing it so often that you're probably right, Alan. You're just like, yeah, I'll wait till the final <laughs> before I get my ticket. I, I, I thought I'll wait till the final. Did yeah. Did Stevie Cooper do one of his somersault dokey things when he scored no. the goal, or had he been banned by that point? N- not only I banned, he'd sore feet. It's so feet. I was just going to say, um, so my brother used to get shoot, yeah. uh, and uh, I remember vividly reading the the build up to the, the Scottish Cup finals. It described Paul Harvey as the man who told Fergie where to stick his whistle, uh, given that yeah. he, he left Man United as a youngster, and he said <laughs> he'd had a septic ingrown toenail during yeah. that game, and so he hadn't done it, but he had something special ready for the final. So on to the final. Unfortunately, yeah, right, we didn't we didn't get to see it. So uh, and. Uh, what's your, what's your uh, Gordon? Did you make it? You, there weren't any scraps for the Celtic yeah, fans that kept you away this uh, time. I made, I made, I made sure. I only had, only had one bottle of tonic at that point. So <laughs> I was, I was, was compassionate that day. Well, vaguely. <laughs> uh, right. So the the documentary is worth mentioning at that point. So it it, it shows you some of the build up. I said the other night, it shows you the, the, the car rally leaving from the sports centre, but it's just grim shots, it's that little weird outbuilding at the sports centre, uh, and the cars are all really old, it looks like a scene from Kess or something, it doesn't show you're doing a particularly <laughs> good light, uh, but, and then it shows you a bit of the town centre, then jumps onto the, the bus with the players uh, on the way to Hamden, um, which... Again, you feel like they could have made more of great footage to have, but didn't really speak to any of the the players at that point. Uh, albeit they might not have wanted to, I guess. Uh, J- Jimmy Sanderson seemed to have a conversation right at the end of it all about his nostrils. Did you get that? I but in like a in like an outtake section at the very end of the uh, the very end of the documentary. Uh, it's, it's kissing, oh, you're looking right up my nostrils or whatever. The surprising thing I spoke to, spoken to Alex McDonald, spoken to Paul Jack as well for this podcast. Uh, and Lumber says, I was asking, when did you know the team? When did you know you were playing? And he kind of said, well, you knew from training and you knew he, typical teams. He was fairly confident he was playing. 
but he didn't know until an hour before kickoff when the team line get put up in the the changing room for for certain. So that must be quite a weird bus journey if uh, you're Paul Jack or you're whoever and you've been playing all year and you, you think you think you will be playing but you don't really know. That must have been a bit of a nerve jangler. Especially when somebody somebody asks you, are you, are you really looking forward to this? And then you say, I am really looking forward to this. This is going to be brilliant, and, <laughs> and you don't actually pl- you don't actually play to play. Yeah. You know, yeah. history, you history tells the story that he, that guy made an arse of himself in his comment there. Yeah. But but what about I don't, the... I don't think we had that big a squad that we could actually have done much different. To be honest, that yeah, time because true. you know John da- John Davis was in, was obviously suspended because of the Jackie McNamara incident. Um, you know, done fair one a few weeks earlier when he got sent off for McNamara feigning you know, injury. Um you know so he was missing already. So all, all that we really had in the squad underneath the guys that played was you know, maybe Tommy McIntyre was, you know, the, the sort of senior defender that was left and um he hadn't really been playing very much. He didn't get many games and he was a good player, eh? He, he was he, he kinda kinda faded out. I think his legs were going though, he wasn't anywhere near his peak by that point. Um and and then you had Marvin Wilson who was obviously, you know, like maybe only about twenty year old at, at that point in time and uh, Tony Smith and Jim McIntyre, you know, there wasn't really that much depth, you know, you, you know, within the within the squad anywhere. Um, you know, compared to ninety two we seem to be much more kind of experienced pros. So I don't think there was much here. I don't think there was really much here. I think we're still talking we're still talking two subs at this time. So the, the, again, they were, I, they were, yeah, younger they listeners were. will be not know about that, but I mean Yes. They, changed, they changed up the Scottish Cup a bit when Robbie Winters had to go and goals for Aberdeen when uh, Jim Leighton got a really bad injury. Uh, but again, uh, for the semi-final, it made it more impressive that you go out all attack. You've not got many options on the bench to to change it. But, but we didn't have any. I think we we were really struggling. We had Jim McIntyre and Tony Smith, maybe did we? Yeah. It was, it, was, it was kind of early days for the players as well. They weren't, yeah. they, they weren't very experienced, and you know, I, I always thought to myself that I was a fan of Marvin Wilson for the minute I seen him, you know, a year or two earlier, and I thought this yeah. guy's got something about him. And and that was a big question for the cup final. Was like, you know, for me personally, was would 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 we be better with keeping one of the four main strikers, you know, whether it be Smith, Lawrence, Harvey, or Cooper, as as a as a as a as you know in reserve as a, an option off the bench like like we had been doing for most of the season or do we go and play Andy Smith in centre midfield, you know, for the start, but we've got nothing really to change it up front and as I said, McIntyre hadn't played an awful lot for us before that and a year later it would have been brilliant having him. But I, I just felt that took a lot away for us that day that we lost all the fluidity with the passing and moving of Davis in the midfield and well, that's what we haven't really touched on that, that wasn't it? Because Dave, Davis was was suspended because of Jackie taking McNamara. Yeah, remember yeah. with the feet punch incident, which which uh, was which wouldn't have happened these days because it was in a league game, uh, and well, I don't, I think it was a second yellow he got for it. So uh, it's. It really annoys me. Uh, okay, let's see. Jackie McNamara has been through uh, an awful uh, health scare, and and hope if if not that he'll be listening. But obviously, we wish him well in recovery from that. But every ever since then, <laughs> he just. But we do I, still I can't, hold that. Ah, well, you can't enjoy watching him even playing. Ah, even watching him playing for Scotland, you can you, you wee shit. You stopped John Davies getting his cup final. Uh, yeah. And that's the thing. Jackie McNamara went on to have a great career, international caps, winning stuff with Celtic. 
John Davis didn't get another chance to play in a Scottish Cup final, and it's yeah. really, really harsh for. Uh, and he didn't like some happened on a football pitch. He didn't have a lot of time to think about it. But uh, Davis gets so annoyed that he flicks an arm. McNamara goes down, and gets sent off, and there's no there's no var for a sense of overturn. There's 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 just nothing can be done about it. And it's just it's unfair. It didn't help and, us. And, on the we, day and we all we all know that John Davis not not playing in that game was the fundamental difference. Exactly. The other thing as well, you know, and that was one of the great things about Doddy, see we, you know, obviously we had guys that missed the cup final in 95 and, you know, guys like Jimmy Sanderson, will we ever get another chance to play in a cup final again? And I think that was maybe one of the big decisions about how we picked that team that day. And we know that you probably couldn't have done anything different and it was probably the right thing to do. We just get beat fair and square on the day because, you know, obviously Van Hooydonk was the difference maker. But I think think that was one of the things about Doddy and, you know, they were his players, that was his team. And we're saying it's about relationships and trust and confidence and whatever else. And I I think McDonald must have looked at and thought, nah, these boys are playing. It's, these are the eleven guys that are playing, regardless of whether it's the right thing or not. I think he's he's went there and kind of done that for the players. Uh, especially, can you imagine leaving Andy Smith or somebody on the bench that day and playing a twenty-year-old? I just kind of see McDonald doing that. You know, that's that's not his way. So, um, the regardless, it's spilt milk now anyway. But yeah. I don't think it would have made a difference. Maybe a year later, Marvin Jim McIntyre might have been kind of pushing for a place, but. Um, it was the John Davis thing that really made the big difference at the end of the day, and you know, no, you know, no being there, I just think we were a wee bit flat. But see, even when you watch a game as well, I mean, we we talk about it, it wasn't a great game to watch, and it definitely wasn't, right? It was grim. It was. It wasn't even not a great game. It was probably. It was, it'll but, probably go down for the neutrals as one of the worst Scottish Cup yeah, final spectacles of all time. It, it, I mean, it, it was quite dull, you know, and two teams almost. But that shows that the two teams were quite level. We were we were on a par with Celtic, no problem. I mean, it, it, it was one moment for a million odd pound player, you know, and, and, and Van Hooydonk that, that that made that one wee difference, right? But see, if you look at the game itself, we were, we're kind of done by in that as well. We should never be embarrassed about, you know, the part we played in that. You know, early on in the game, Alan Warren skins. Tom Boyd, another player that I couldn't stand for the rest of his career, cause it. But you know, he brings down he brings down Nipper near the corner right now. You need to ask Nipper if it was a foul or no, or you know whether I'm I'm you know watching it with red tinted specs on or something like that, right? But you know, you think he's brought down? I don't think he came anywhere near the ball, right? He brings down. Nipper. Oh, it's a definite it, foul. It, it, I don't think you know trying to say it was a penalty. I don't think it was a penalty, but it was it's an a, absolute assault. Well, right. So, you know, and he runs after the referee, you know, with the, the, the two Aram's cups, you know, making the diving sign. Aye, you know, that's right. Yeah, you remember that. So there's, there's one contentious issue right away. The goal itself as well, you know, and, you know, two minutes, you know, no, you've maybe no even two minutes before it, but, you know, big game, he's the centre half that day, right? And, um, um, he gets fouled by Van Hooydonk, you know, a minute or two before it. And Graham, he claimed that he lost his contact lens in that. In that challenge, and then two minutes later, of course, he's he's caught underneath the ball, and Van Hooydonk's managed to jump him, right, and and you know put that header away. And you know you're looking at you're looking at me things. Celtic were kind of hanging on towards the end of that game. You know Peter Grant was, you know, was playing with some kind of you know kind of poor, you know, an injury that was really affecting him. You know towards the end of that game, they were hanging on for grim life towards the end of that game. We didn't have the alternatives that we we would usually have coming off the bench and. You know, maybe maybe it was just too much on that day. We had a couple of weeks before, you know, the cup final. We didn't have a game, and maybe we were just flat, came off the boil or something. That brilliant team that were playing such fluid and 
well organised football. You know, it was just maybe a step too far. But we, we shouldn't have been embarrassed by that game. And you know, when you look back on it, there was there was sort of some kind of factors that that didn't go our way on the day. You know, and that's that's maybe the luck in the draw. I tell you what, though, right? I think we'd have beat Celtic in the League Cup final if we'd you know if we could get by eighth in that bloody penalty shootout. Well, it was pre Van Hoydonk and it was at Ibrox rather than ex- ex- at Hamden where exactly. they played all year their home games. I, mean, I don't know if that home advantage makes it. To be honest, I don't know if that makes any advantage. I mean, Jimmy Boyle played like you know about two hundred more games at Hamden than Celtic done. It didn't make any difference. That you know, <laughs> the stands were all different. You know, different beat, you know what I mean? All, all the cues that you would take is you know where this is where I cross the ball in. See, Not having that, that's a massive yeah, advantage. That's... Oh, we were playing abroad Broadwood as well. We weren't used to there being no wind. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a good shout actually, right? But I don't think it matters where we we, we played. We could have played them on the surface of the moon, and you know, it's eleven men against eleven men at the end of the day. I don't like that as an excuse, but but you should do what I do like excuses now and again. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> but I, I don't, you know, it, was, it just didn't happen for us that day, and it, it's kind of disappointing. But I'll tell you what, I think we'd have gubbed them in that League Cup final. You know, and it's it's unfortunate that, that two seasons, you know, we'd have, we'd have beat Hibs in that final as well I mean again another penalty shootout defeat in the League Cup semi right and there was all that everything else that went on that game right Hibs would never have beat us in that League Cup final we beat Hibs every time we played them you know what I mean there's no way that they would have beat us that day in that final and again we kind of complain because we got to play in Europe you know you know, getting to the cup, Scottish Cup final, that maybe drove us on. Maybe, maybe if we won that League Cup final, we'd have went backward, you know, kind of quickly, and it could have fell apart. Instead, it drove us on. So yeah. maybe I shouldn't complain about that. But that that year as well, I mean, getting beat with Wraith the way we did in that semi final. I mean, I don't know how they managed it. You know, they they kind of like they, they brought David Neri back for the dead to play for them that year. You know, that cup semi and you know for whatever reason they, they, they were they were fairly decent and but you know we still managed to lose a, a you know a, a you know a penalty shootout. We would have beat Celtic in that final, you know, with the you know, with the team that Celtic had at the time without Van Hoydon, we we would have had them. And um you know it's so disappointing that obviously by the cup you know by the cup final we did play you know they were under that much pressure they went signed Van Hoydonk and, and that was the, the only difference was a world class you know one world class player. Um that made the difference so you know it just shows you how good a team we had at the time no one hitting the level of expectation now we're now we're kind of like talking about do we have a divine right to go and, and beat Montrose you know and back in the day we were talking about taking Rangers yeah. and Celtic yes skills. we do Gordon we have a divine right to beat Montrose not according to some <laughs> here's the, that's the crux of it for me so having spoken to Paul Jack and spoken to Alex McDonald they they are they're still disappointed with it but they feel and Doddy said as if they let us down uh, and I think here's here's a good thing to do in the podcast what's your what's your message to that squad so it's not only did you not let us down you're heroes you gave us uh, a spell of watching football which has never been touched again who knows if it ever will be uh, and just so much joy and losing out on a cup final by the odd goal to either half of the old firm as Airdrie is not something that we should be ashamed of it's something that we should celebrate and we should take the same 25 years on to enjoy uh, and even just looking back at old Robert Dale's pictures from that day and seeing the town centre rammed with Airdrie fans when people got back uh, it gives me a wee bit of hope that if we could get things right on the pitch again we could still grow something. I don't, but Alan, do you want to add anything to that? What's your message no, to no, the, no, those players? I, I think the takeaway when I was watching the video was that when you watch Doddy, I, I, I think I, I felt genuine affection for the guy. 
you know, I, I think he brought us so much joy over those over those years, and we batted so far above our. Uh, I'm going to mix my metaphors average. here. <laughs> average that Punched thing. above our weight. I was batting above my weight. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we did. We, we, we competed well above what we could ever expect to do for a small team. And I think everybody will just always be, you know, really appreciative of that. And, and I think we'd wish him well. Gordon? I'm not keen. I'm not. I'm not keen. I'm not at all. He's, he's just. He's not, He's just fishing for compliments, and he's. You know, um, he knows. <laughs> he knows, and they know that they gave us the best years of our, our lives. They gave us the best years of our lives. I thought you were going to say they know they let us down. They know. <laughs> <That's fair. laughs> Absolute bullshit. They they know what 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 it meant to us. And I'm not. I'm not keen. I'm the. I'm not keen. I'm at that one. He's he's not going to draw that one out of shit again and be sooks and all that. Right. I've already told you how much a genius I thought he was. Right. And how how good an experience it was. So, um, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to. I'm not falling for that one. I'm not falling for that one. He knows. He knows that that team was that team was absolutely brilliant. And you know we've got we've got knee kind of. I don't think we should have any regrets. I don't think anybody actually does. They certainly didn't let us down. I mean, Jesus. They, they, so look at look at the nineteen nineties, right? Two cup two cup finals, right? We we took we went into both games thinking that we had a chance. I know ninety two we were we were talking about there that we had a couple of suspensions that really did kind of jeopardise what we were doing that day, right? But we went into the two games, they got us into Europe, four League Cup semi finals in the nineteen nineties. B&Q Cup, Premier League football. I, I'm not counting that. B&Q Cup, that's Mickey Mouse in it, you know what I mean? But uh, who's a level of football, mate? You know what I mean? We were, we literally... How blasé are you? I know. Oh, the, B, the B&Q <laughs> Cup final. Wouldn't get out of bed I must that. Admit, I must admit, that was a cracking game that day as well, um, against Indy. Um, never never, for, never forget that one as well. It was, it was brilliant. I think it was a year after, wasn't it? Um no, 1994, same season. Was that same year? Uh, I like, same what, season. Even what, what a number of I mean, games they must have played. Jesus, I mean that that team were just that team were just incredible, and um, you know every one of the players knows what they did for us. They're, they're obviously held in such high regard base as well, and um, he, he's you know he's absolutely right. They, they certainly didn't let us down. Paul Jack, they, they all know they all know that wasn't the case as well, and. Um, you know, the, right. the, was, you're sneaking in the compliments now. You're backtracking. Yeah, it's, 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 I don't want to get told. Spoken like the, the true bad boy of Adrian. He misses cup finals and everything. Well, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing, though. Right? You know, here's here's the thing, though. I mean, we we obviously experienced that, right? I mean, obviously you're a fair bit younger, Colin, but Alan's about ten years older than me. You know, and I'm, I'm fifty soon. <laughs> Thanks very much. <laughs> No, but like, like I'm, I'm 50 in a couple of weeks' time. You know, this, the time you edit this podcast, 51 or 52. We went through that in the last podcast. I was just obviously joking there, right? But um, the thing that gets me, Alan, right, and you know, that, that kind of age, that um, I want to see that again, right? And folk might not understand me that I'm always moaning, you know, the, the previous regime we had for the last 18 years or something like that wasn't good enough for me because I wanted to be back to the days. I actually want to emulate. Or, or, or try and beat, you know, we get 20-24 coming up soon, and I want to see an Airdrie team that can compete in that, that cup final, I want to I want to go back there and hopefully by the time 
the centenary, the the one cup when we've had so far comes up. I want us to be back there at the very least competing to be in a cup final again. And and I want to see that. I want to see it for my kids that I've never experienced it. And I want to see it for all my mates' kids that I've seen it. I want to see all the weird races that I've been coaching for the last ten years before every game. They want to see it and I want to see it. That's what I want back. And that was the standard that was set that I think we've always got to strive to get that back for our club. You know, forgetting any kind of petty fighting or anything else that went on. If we actually truly love our team, that's what we want to emulate. And, you know, it's great talking about it the new, but I want to date again. I don't just want to talk about it. And, you know, that was our one-off kind of thing. I want us to be back there doing that kind of thing. And that's what I'll keep moaning about until we get that situation right again. And hopefully we can, at some point, we can get to that stage again where we've we've got that level of team. But what a marker that they guys set. And I don't think we should, you know, we look back and we miss the ice, but we should remember what all the ingredients were that put that together. And celebrate it, but you know, hopefully we can try and emulate it again at some point because I want to be back there. Guys, I've taken up a lot of your time, even more because of my technical failings. Uh, but that's been brilliant. Uh, I've really enjoyed it. I hope people enjoy listening to it too. And as we said, the tough time that people are going through just now. We hope that this at least gives you something to listen to. Uh, and fingers crossed we get football at some stage uh, because I'm I'm really starting to miss normal life now so uh, I really hope to see you both at the, the main stand soon but uh, look after yourselves and we'll speak again soon